Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010, and each month I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. In this episode, we've got our eye on one of Seton Hall's most treasured traditions, Christmas at the Hall. From the 13th annual tree lighting ceremony to the Dove Toy Drive and Pancakes with Santa alumni event, my guest Alan Delosier from University Libraries and myself explore the history and the development of Christmas celebrations at the Hall, dating back to its early beginnings in the late 1800s. Take a listen and take part of Christmas at the Hall from wherever you are. Alan, welcome back to the Pirate's Eye podcast. I'm so glad to have you on again. Thank you so much, Bianca. I really appreciate the invitation and uh, especially this time of year, Christmas season and uh, so much to talk about. That's right. We are talking about Christmas at the Hall, one of Seton Hall's best, biggest, most well-known traditions, hands down. I'm not being biased because I'm an alumna. I'm not being biased because I do this podcast or because I was an admin. I'm not being biased because I have you, our resident historian. I actually am referencing that Seton Hall has been named several times as best college campus for Christmas. So Best College Reviews has named Seton Hall best college campus for Christmas on a number of occasions and with really good reason. We have a long history of Christmas celebrations at Seton Hall, right? That is correct. And it's really great to uh, work with you on this in terms of learning more about the traditions here at Seton Hall. So we want to give the listeners just kind of some perspective, some insights into how rich and how long of a tradition uh, Christmas celebrations on campus really are and how far they go back. And we just held our annual tree lighting ceremony. I was not in attendance, but I did watch the streaming. Were you in attendance? Unfortunately not, Bianca, but you know what? I did view it via you know, the uh, link on the site. And I could see just from afar how wonderful, how bright, shiny, and exciting it was. Yes, I was feeling the spirit in watching it digitally. It was such a beautiful night. It's what appears to be hundreds of thousands of light bulbs on the tree. I don't actually know the count. And hundreds of students, parents, alumni, admin, faculty, just the entire Seton Hall community coming together to take part in the tree lighting. And it's just such a really special ceremony. And we're going to drop the link of the tree lighting streaming in our show notes for all of our listeners who also may not have gotten a chance to get back to campus for that ceremony. And let's talk about this piece of the Christmas at the Hall tradition. So looking at the records that you shared with me, it looks like 2010 is the year that the tree lighting becomes an official ceremony on campus. Yes, it does. And uh, I know you have a special place in your heart for the year of 2010 yourself. 
2010 is actually the year that I graduated. <laughs> so I was on campus for this ceremony. I don't actually remember the first ceremony. I don't think that I was um, able to attend at that point. But what I do remember is that when I was a freshman, so 2006, my roommate and I walked across campus one evening getting back to Boland Hall from the University Center, which has now reopened. I know on the on the evening of this lighting ceremony, we actually did the ribbon cutting for that. So another exciting element of this recent ceremony. So we were walking across campus and to our surprise, the tree on the green was lit. And we were like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this is a little Christmas season surprise. And when I learned that 2010 was the first time there was a ceremony, it made sense to me now, all these years later. <laughs> at the time, I walked out and we were like, wait a minute, what happened? When did this happen? When did it get lit? When did when did the tree get, um, the lights get strung? What did we miss? We didn't even know this was gonna happen. And it turns out that's actually how it was done for quite a while. There was no ceremony. It just got facilities, did a great job in lighting it, in stringing the lights, turning it on. And one day, all of Seton Hall was surprised with this little Christmas joy in, in the tree being lit. So I'm sure you being on campus, that must have happened to you a number of times where you're walking across and you're like, oh, the tree's lit. <laughs> Absolutely, Bianca. And it's and you tell a great story and I'm really excited. It's like um, opening your presents on Christmas Day under the tree, but having the tree light up and really provide that inspirational beacon of sorts. And I can't say enough great things about Physical Plan on campus and the great work they do in terms of putting up the lights. And it's just something that's magical. It's something that's really memorable. And I think everybody who sees it carries a piece of the, uh, the memory, the picture of it with them. Yeah. Yeah. And so now for all these decades that we were just running into this surprise of a Christmas tree, how long would you say, according to your research, have we had a lit Christmas tree on the green? So how long has Seton Hall been lighting a tree for Christmas on the green? Great. Well, Bianca, thank you. And uh, according to documentation, what I could find is that just to give you sort of a preface and sort of like a lead in, um, there was basically in the student center. And I bring that up because we had the uh, ribbon cutting for the new uh, student center renovations the same night. So it was a extra special event. They used to have this really large decorated tree within the um, student center's um, your study area. There was a okay. very large room and it was just one of those things that really spoke to the season. But moving forward in terms of the green and how that tradition started, um, basically as the tree grew and the green became more of a uh, meeting place and a centralized location on campus, um, I see from the uh, 1980s, they used to um, decorate it, but the ceremony wasn't as large. It was still memorable. And it was still special. But what they would do is they would have the tree lighting and the blessing of the um, Christmas crash, the, um, 
the area where you know, the Christ child and the nativity were in terms of having that together um, on one special occasion on the green. And this is something I found in the Suetonian in terms of uh, advertising it to the students and the uh, university community to uh, join them for this wonderful event. Um, and also, just like today, they have the uh, wonderful uh, edition of hot chocolate, uh, cookies, and, um, and caroling. And caroling was something that, you know, usually is part of the, uh, the day or the ceremony as well, just from, you know, the chapel or outside. Um, so essentially from that point, and then you mentioned the great work of Dr. Esteban in terms of making this a really formal and really um, highly um, anticipated event. So that's sort of like just a very brief overview of how this tradition came into play. And it's just um, grown in terms of its value and it's in terms of its endearment ever since that time. It really has grown. I mean, it feels like a highly anticipated televised event. It, it, it feels like our mini Rockefeller Center tree lighting ceremony. We have performances, there's singing, there's speakers, there's folks that come on that are specifically chosen to help pull down the lever to light the tree. It's, it's really just a, a full production at this point. And it's great because we have the opportunity in the digital age now to share that streaming with alumni who are near and far who can't come to campus to experience the tree lighting themselves. That's a great point, Bianca. And, and you're, it's so, you articulate so well in terms of the production value. But you know what? I think a lot of love and care goes into um, the preparation. And you can just see on the faces and just, um, well, even if you go to social media, all the pictures that um, are taken from the event and so forth. It's just something that people want to share with other individuals um, and something that not only um, is shared on campus, but also locally, nationally, globally, in terms of um, how it really has uh, impacted on individuals. And you're so right. It's anticipated every year. And we're fortunate that the tree is up for a few more weeks. And um, so we can... Uh, get more of the um, the shine and luster of this particular uh, tradition. Yeah, I'm watching the streaming. I'm like, you know what? I need to make a trip to campus before <laughs> December ends because I want to see this in person. But now, Alan, the tree lighting isn't the only part that makes Christmas celebrations at Seton Hall special. I mean, in fact, part of the lighting and part of the season celebration is the the Dove toy drive. And you shared with me some great archival content from the Suetonian dating back to 1975. And in there is an article talking about a campaign that at that point was longer than 10 years in the running called Joy is a Toy. And in reading this, I realized this is essentially the very early beginnings of what is now the Dove Toy Drive, very well-known toy drive on campus dating all the way back to the 1960s. So we're talking about decades and decades of this being part of Seton Hall's, Seton Hall's legacy and Seton Hall's tradition within the Christmas season of giving back. That's for sure. And you, you say it so well because um, joy is a toy is not only a fun you know phrase, but it's also 
really memorable because as we were talking um, off podcast in terms of the value of having gifts for, for young children on Christmas day, it's so memorable in terms of having something to unwrap something that's um, really special for um, the season, but it's something that's really in the uh, tradition of senior halls, giving back to the community. Um, and there's nothing more wonderful than helping children, especially this time of year. And Dove, I can't say enough good things about Dove and Campus Ministry and all the great work they do on a daily basis. And um, I know the toy drive is something that's really important. And I think the students, the administration, faculty, and everybody in the community have really embraced this as well. So it's really tremendous in terms of giving back to um, really wonderful people in the community. And it's just something that really uh, warms your heart. And it it really does... um, for me especially and uh, and others who are involved in the program. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. It is such a collective effort. We see during this time folks participating in the tub, in the Dove toy drive. It's not just the students or the faculty or the administration on campus. I mean, even the alumni get involved with the Dove toy drive and I've seen this uh, with the annual pancakes with santa event where alumni come with their families and they so many of them come with toys for this dove toy drive and what i think is interesting and i'm so appreciative to you for sharing all of this great archival and historical research because i tend to think about these things from my perspective from my lived experience, which just feels very present, even though my student days are 2006 to 2010, which at this point, right, is is history, is in the <laughs> past, even, even though it feels like it was recent. It doesn't feel historical in the same sense as when I read about a toy drive on campus taking place as far back as as the 1960s, and that's what we find from that article in 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 the Suetonian in 1975. I mean, it could be even further than that, but we have records of of the 1960s of students and of the Seton Hall community at large gearing up for Christmas by running this toy drive, and that perspective for me shifts, and I realize how much the traditions that we have, the yearly to-dos, what we're used to as part of a Christmas celebration on campus is really built on a long standing legacy that that just predates us in in a way that that speaks to the volume and the importance of of tradition, of legacy, of community, and of being part of something bigger than yourself. This is not just one effort that you're a part of right now. This is an effort that spans decades, right? And so I really love um, that you shared that information with me and I was able to see that and, and shift my perspective and share that with our listeners today. Thank you, Bianca. You're very kind and also very articulate, and you really go to the heart of the matter. Your history adds to the overall um, effect of how valuable it is for you know the event to take place, those who document it, those who save it, the archivists who work with it, and also the researchers such as mm-hmm. yourself 
and others who really look at the um, history of something, especially the Christmas story, which is really incredible in terms of how it started and how it's really uh, grown in such wonderful ways over the years. And let's talk about that, right? Because we're, I'm referencing the 1960s, but our Christmas celebrations date even further back. I mean, one of the earliest articles that you shared with me dates back to 1934. And that's no surprise. I mean, we are and have always been a Catholic institution. So what are we talking about when we're talking about Christmas celebrations at Seton Hall and how it began and how it started and all of that? Okay, sounds good, Bianca. And I know I'm a pain, but I'll, I'll go back a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And then we can jump into the 19... Uh, uh, 20s and 30s. This is this is your this is your show, Alan. Go no. back as far as we can go back. <laughs> okay, no, you're fine, Bianca. Well, we can go back to Bethlehem, but we only have so much time, <laughs> and it's so important. But you know, it's interesting. 1856, of course, is our founding, um, and the fall of that year were our first classes, September 1st. So a few months later was the first Christmas celebration on the Madison campus, and at that time it was. Um, Interesting because Seton Hall was primarily a liberal arts college, classical mm-hmm. education. And you know what? Even just leading up to the Christmas uh, celebration, Advent and so forth, they learned in the classroom all about the life of Christ and also Christianity. So it's interesting. They uh, not only celebrated the birth, December 25th, but also, you know, in terms of their um, scholarship, the pedagogy, so forth, and also from the very beginning, everybody had a Christmas break. And it was usually about, in the 19th century, three days before Christmas started um, for individuals who may have the very few who lived on campus to uh, make their way home and so forth. But this all varied during the years who was, um, but the um, that was pretty standard in terms of recognizing the importance of this, uh, this holy uh, time of year. And also, you know, in terms of symbols, Nativity scene was very important, and also the uh, University Chapel, which is such a beautiful space in terms of uh, celebration of Mass and um, you know the uh, the vigil, the Christmas Mass, and so forth. And um, with the man- manger or the uh, nativity scene, this is something that's been going on through um, time and memorial from the 19th century forward. So, and again, I'm not, I know we're limited to time. So let me fast forward to the 1920s. Basically through the 19th century, it was more of a classical approach and a very traditional approach to Christmas uh, celebrations on campus. But then the 1920s hit, and this was the age of radio, more newspaper coverage. I think it became more commercial, which isn't a bad thing. But you can see in the pages of the Suetonian, the first issues, which were, which came out in uh, 1924, and have continued uh, continuously to this day, um, you see uh, representations of Santa Claus and um, along with, you know, very serious and very solemn and very uh, poignant, um, impressive um, depictions of uh, Christmas on campus. And even leading in like the earlier part of the 20th century, you know, there was always a Christmas concert. And then the Christmas concerts, you know, varied in terms of classical music to uh, Christmas-only music and also various other things such as glee club concerts and um, the school orchestra too. So December was really important right after Thanksgiving and uh, how it really uh, resonated um, on campus. And then when they played off campus as well, the various Seton Hall groups, 
Roy brought a um, nice um, connection from Seton Hall to the community, talking about um, being out among um, our neighbors and so forth. But anyway, in the 1920s, it's very interesting. One of the traditions that we would see in the Setonian is that there was an annual letter from the uh, president of the uh, then college, uh, Seton Hall College, to the um, individuals um, who were reading the newspaper at that time. And let me just quote one from uh, 1932, so 90 years ago. Uh, this was Father McLaughlin, Thomas McLaughlin, who was the uh, college president. And he mentioned in the, um, the text of the Setonian, on behalf of the officers and faculty of Seton Hall College, as well as in his own name, the president, wishes to extend to those associated in our common work, professors, students, relatives, and friends, the sincerest prayerful wishes that the blessings of this holy season may descend upon all in rich abundance. So somebody wrote that for him, but of course, Father McLaughlin endorsed it. And it's a really great thing. So it's I love that. Isn't it great? And yeah. it's uh, just tell, it just like spreads the uh, Christmas joy and the message of you know, like goodwill and um, the success and, um, and happiness at the time of year. Right. But, but also leaving into the 1920s and 30s, the Setonian was actually important in terms of relaying other types of uh, essays. There are a lot of great uh, poems, um, stories, short stories, and so forth, especially from the late 1920s and early 30s. So if I may, I just want to quote um, an interesting uh, one that was in, um, that was in the 1936 uh, Setonian. It was by Walter Peach, who was in the class of 1935, I should say. But, you know, he uh, he had a long time working with the Setonian on campus. Really nice man, too. I, I met him before he um, passed away. Oh, wow. But anyway, um, Walter Peach is also the author of um, uh, the school alma mater, you know, March Setonia. Okay. So, so it's really, he was very talented in terms of his of his wording. And he wrote this wonderful um, poem called A Christmas Rhapsody. And if I may, I'll just quote it. It was nigh on midnight of a snowy Christmas Eve. On my library window pane, the frost spiders weave. Sparked red to the flames of a log fire jolly. As the shadows danced to the rhythm tick-tock. Where the dusty books nodded at the solemn old clock. Clocking to himself under mistletoe and holly. With cherry umbered pipe and a well-loved book. Open to the story of a night long ago, I sank into thought, my mind forsook. The dreamy red of the ember glow. I love that you're sharing this piece, right? Because one, I think it's an incredible story of, of um, William. And two, this is, this is an element of that time, right? Where things are done a little differently now. And although folks may still be writing poems or songs, but that is so um, specific to that era of, of Christmas celebrations. It, it, it sounds different. It, it's not modern. And, and that's really special that we even have that history. Thank you. This will hopefully motivate you to go to... Um our library and see the actual poems themselves where you could read it um, in probably a better way than I did. <laughs> just, just a small funny aside. You're right. You're, you're so correct about the culture and the time period. Uh, Mr. Peach talked about smoking a pipe, of course, smoking banned on campus. It's <laughs> right. uh, just sort of a very amusing, but you have to keep in mind context and the time period. 
Uh, the Suetonian took advertising on his back page of the mid to late 1930s. And um, you could see um, a Santa Claus representation um, advertising Prince Albert tobacco and Camel cigarettes. So it's, it's <laughs> I know it's it's interesting. It's part of the story. So yeah, uh, it is. Take that is funny. But I digress. So apologies <laughs> for digressing. But then going into the thirty late thirties, the early forties, World War II came, and essentially there was like. Um, you know, a continuation of Christmas celebrations on campus, mass, um, different musical, um, you know, events. And also, again, you know, Christmas break was traditional. Let me just go after World War II, the post-war period, when um, enrollment just exploded on campus. Mm. So there's a lot more um, interesting things in terms of activities. 1949 was interesting because... Uh, they had a, a live nativity for a brief period. Um, and this returned to campus with um, a flourish uh, that year. And that led into the 1950s, where there was a lot of great um, activities. Um, basically, different uh, Greek societies had their own type of uh, Christmas outreach to the community. They worked with uh, different orphanages and so forth, having parties and um, contributing uh, their time, their talents, and also uh, finances to help you know, children uh, who um, have a better Christmas and a better, right. um, you know, December as a, as a um, thought. And there was also dances, dances in the 1950s going to the 60s and, you know, forward different dances, balls with themes um, were really important. And actually WSOU 1959 had a uh, programming called The uh, Gift of the Magi, A Christmas Carol and Handel's Messiah, which are pretty famous in terms of, um, you know, different, you know, programming that you hear on um, public and even commercial stations at some point. But these are things that really um, came to the campus and really resonated with those who were uh, participating. And then, you know, going into the 60s, as we mentioned, the joy of the toy, but also in terms of um, different things that were going on, uh, chapel reflections. Um, there were lessons in caroling in terms of different words for traditional and also, um, you know, very spiritual ones. Uh, Arreste Fidelis is one of the examples I can think of. And you have to keep in mind, too, you know, with um, Vatican II, the, the post-Vatican curricular council, um, you know, it, it went from Latin-only mass to the vernacular, so English. So the priests on campus are always incredible. But at this time, too, it was a way to uh, celebrate Christmas in different ways. And it was really something that was um, well-received and things that really um, speak to the context, as you're saying, in terms of the history and how it developed in different ways. Right. Again, I'm being very broad-based and just right. giving a few examples. But then you get into the 80s and 90s, um, you know, you had um, different things such as Secret Santa. You had... Um, roommates exchanging presents. I hear all these Christmas cards and just all these wonderful things, uh, such as um, semi-formals. In 1983, right. the Newark Boys Chorus came to campus for a, a concert, which was really well-received. I bet it was incredible. I'm sorry I missed it. Uh, <laughs> I see these Don't worry, up. Alan, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I know. I have to get that time capsule going. That's, that's, what, that's what I want for uh, Christmas. I want a time capsule. <laughs> 
course you would. I digress. Yeah. So all these things along with, um, you know, working with um, the community, working uh, with like the uh, season and just celebrating um, just the uh, joy of um, being here. And also in terms of the meaning of Christmas, it's um, it's a really great story. And uh, hopefully, uh, as I always urge, it's like, um, you know, do more research. And, uh, <laughs> right. Of course. I'm, yes. I'm happy, I'm happy to cheer you on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really grateful for the research that you did share. It does offer a different perspective and it really helps me to understand the importance of intentionally honoring the spirit of Christmas. Wonderful. And it's so true, Bianca. And, um, you have the spirit yourself, so it's really great to um, channel your energy and just just hear about your stories and other people's. That's one of the joys of um, the season is not only the um, – <laughs> I'm not going to get mushy or anything. <laughs> it's a little philosophical. It's great to share the stories and when individuals like recount their favorite holiday memories, it's really heartwarming, and I, I really love to hear that. So that's, that's not only archival, it's just really a great – uh, sense of like, um, you know, learning about the other person and just uh, sharing the magic of the season, so to speak. That's right. Well, Alan, I want to thank you so much for once again joining the Pirate's Eye podcast and giving us this kind of historical overview of what is one of the most important and the most celebrated traditions on campus, Christmas at the Hall. I've learned a ton from the research that you share and from speaking with you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Bianca. It's always a pleasure and honor working with you. And um, I really appreciate the time. And to you and everybody uh, listening, a uh, very uh, happy holiday, Merry Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, and um, all good things for the season. Yes, same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Remember to stay up to date with all of Seton Hall's alumni engagement opportunities and to view recordings of past virtual events that you may have missed, visit www.shu.edu slash hall hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends. Be sure to follow us on social media at Seton Hall alumni. And of course, if you know of a pirate we should have our eye on, do not hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye Podcast.